Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time. Let me bring in the rest of the team that will be alongside me for this latest adventure. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing well, man. Yourself? Not too shabby as I take a drink of water. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B., how are you, sir? Thanks for the intro, brother. I'm doing well. How about yourself? How you doing? Not too shabby. Uh, got my second COVID shot on Friday, so nice. uh, we're... Uh, uh, got my vaccination done, so we're uh, we're rolling along nice and nice and smoothly here as we veer, just kind of take that you know veer into normalcy again. So we're yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna probably be doing the show in person pretty soon, which hasn't happened in what a year plus now, something like that. Correct. So Rod, you're yeah. you're vaccinated. You're fully vaccinated at this point. I'm fully. Va- I just, it's probably been two plus weeks for me now that i've been that i got my second dose okay so pretty one two week after two weeks after the second dose that's apparently when you're fully vaccinated so yeah you're good uh i will be there in less than two weeks and matt you said you're taking care of yours yep going this week, this week. okay awesome so yeah we will the blitz will be back to normal here before too long that means longer episodes we can get more in depth we're not talking over each other all the time so it'll be it'll be a lot of fun here it's not that we don't have fun on on every single show and if you want to get every episode of longhorn blitz if you're listening to this if you are a subscriber to this podcast we thank you so much for doing so you can subscribe to this podcast for free anywhere you get your podcasts just search horns 24 7 podcast click the subscribe button get every episode of the flagship state of recruiting and longhorn blitz and don't forget to leave us a five-star review and don't forget to visit the outstanding work being done every day by my colleagues and I at Horns 24-7. Speaking of Horns 24-7 and 24-7 sports, that's where I want to go this week, gentlemen, as we start. And this is, I'm hoping one can dovetail into the other for the two topics I want to discuss this week. Uh, you know, if it does, great. If not, then, well, well, you guys know how we do it. We'll get there anyway. Um, so, Rod, uh, our, our national desk, our national news desk, put out a story a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think this was on May 9th. Uh, Clint Buckley put out a story. Uh, he authored it. And it's just running down a list of 
top ten players to watch in the Big Twelve in twenty twenty one. This I don't think I, this I, is, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. yeah. This yeah. is a uh, that this is not a definitive list or anything. It's just the headline is ranking the Big Twelve's top ten football players for twenty twenty one season. Uh, came out on May 9th. So again, not a definitive list, but just kind of a uh, you know, hey, here's a snapshot of where you know. 10 names to, to watch for the 2021 season as we sit here in early May. One Longhorn makes the cut. That's Bijan Robinson at number three. I don't think that should surprise anybody just for the sake of discussion. Uh, the countdown is Letty Brown, the West Virginia running back at number 10, Deuce Vaughn, the K State running back at number nine, Charlie Kohler, the Iowa State tight end at number eight. Number seven, Nick Benito, the edge defender from Oklahoma. Brock Purdy at number six, the Iowa State quarterback, even though uh, I would not put Brock Purdy in the top ten list of Big 12 players returning, but got to get your quarterback. They based that on the expect, because last year I agree he he regressed, but what was that his, was that his sophomore year? Yeah. That I think that's more what it is. Remember, he was being projected as a first-round pick after that year. Mm Mm-hmm. Crazy. No question. No question. Uh, Josh Sills, the Oklahoma State offensive lineman, coming in at five. Marvin Mims, the Oklahoma wide receiver, at four. And you can make a really good argument that Marvin Mims could and should be higher on this list. B. John Robinson, I mentioned at three. Brees Hall, the Iowa State running back at two. And then number one, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody, Spencer Rattler, the Oklahoma quarterback. So, guys, one Longhorn on this list. And two-part question. One... Do you agree with where Bijan Robinson is ranked? And two, can you make an argument for any other Longhorn? And that's where I want to go with my discussion. But I'll, I'll throw it out to you guys. If there's, you know, do you like where Bijan is on this hypothetical list? And any other Longhorn you think deserves consideration for this list? Uh, Bijan, I believe Bijan's probably in the right place. I mean, they're not going to put him above Spencer Rattler. There are now some mock drafts and projections that have him as the number one overall pick in the 2022 draft. So they're not going to put him there just because of the value and the perception of the quarterback position overall and the, you know, the history and resume of Lincoln Riley with the first right. quarterback that he's been able to handpick that hasn't been a transfer really or someone that he's inherited. Yeah, so I think that uh, that kind of deserves, you know, that top recognition I would say that Brees Hall, because he led the nation in rushing, so it's more of uh, just a respect that, I mean, yeah, if you're going to rank a running back ahead of him, you'd have to make a really good case because he led the country in rushing. So in the conference, I would think he'd be the top guy. And mm-hmm. you said Bijan's third? Number three, yeah. Um, so that makes sense to me. I, I, I agree with that. I see I, I see the justification of why you would put those two guys ahead of him. We all, and I'm sure that some people would argue that Bijan's probably too high but we saw what Bijan Robinson did. We saw what kind of freak uh, that he is. I think those last what four games they talk about. I mean, he was just—he was unbelievable. He was on a tear. He was probably one of the best players in the country uh, in the last two games of the season. So, yeah, I agree with that. Third, right there, makes sense. He'll probably be. I mean, he could be number two or uh, honestly number one by the end of the season. Like, he's got that kind of potential. Yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, when you're just taking a snapshot right now, Rod, and again, this isn't any kind of definitive list. It's, again, it's just a snapshot. I, it's always interesting for me. So I, I say that to say, you know, take it how you will. I always think it's interesting, though, to get a national view on Texas because I think for us sometimes, 
you know, fans do this, and, and honestly, you know, we as media members do this. I've been guilty of this before. I think sometimes it's difficult to see the forest through the trees, so to say, and, and that can be both good and bad. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we can have perceptions that uh, are, are, are lean too far negatively or positively. So, But, you know, the, the, the love that B. John Robinson is getting nationally um, – it doesn't surprise me. I, I think it more so kind of vindicates that what we saw and what we were in awe of those down the stretch, especially those last two games against K-State and against Colorado, that the rest of the nation took notice. And whether it's TV, print, online, folks that cover college football watched those games and said, yeah, B. John Robinson something special for Texas. So, Rod, no other Longhorns on the list. Is there anybody else on this Texas roster that you feel like, if you're doing a list of top ten players in the Big Twelve, could and should be on it? Oh man, coulda, woulda, shoulda. That's a you say you're talking about maybe by the end of next season. Or are we talking about? I mean, how, like right however, now, making a making however, an yeah. argument for somebody right now. Make an argument for somebody right now. Uh, it'd be tough for me to make an argument for somebody right now. Uh, I'm. I'm trying to go through my mental Rolodex. I mean, maybe, yeah, it'd be hard for me to make top 10 a list for somebody else right now to be a top 10 player in the Big 12. Yeah, if um, you were going I up. think some guys are on the cusp of it, but, Matt, I don't really know if I could, I could, I could honestly say that I think this guy deserves it. Yeah, because it's basically when you look at these things, it's sort of as if you're looking at what they've done in addition to what they may do, but not necessarily predictive or looking forward. So looking at what you've proven on the field to this point, you can see Bijan, I mean, just the way he finished last year and has been on the elite of elite. Now, if you're talking about looking forward, that's when you can get in the conversation. Bijan should maybe be above a guy like Brees Hall because you're talking about next season, but obviously that career to this point, much better. And that's why the rest of the players on the Texas roster, it's going to be hard to find somebody. Now, if we're going more of the predictive route, like who could be one of the top 10 guys in the conference next year, Alfred Collins is that freakish ability that you could see him making those type of plays, or even a guy like, say, Deshaun Jameson, because you've heard of him talk about, you know, his kick returning skills turning into being a defensive back, but he still hasn't put anything really on paper that these national, when you have a national, you know, article or something, they're really going and looking at what you've done, and you aren't going to find anything other than being an elite kick returner for that guy. So I don't know if that's going to get him that type of recognition. But if you're looking overall at players, I mean, Alfred Collins would be one that I think could really make a shot. I don't know if you read my mind, Matt. Yeah. But that's exactly where I wanted to go. Because I can make a case for Deshaun Jamison to be on this list. There you go. Now, Rod, I know you're probably throwing stuff right now or, you know, gritting your teeth, but hear me out and then we'll get to kind of that elephant in the room issue with these Texas corners. Deshaun Jamison last year. Now, pro football focus, I love PFF, but it is not the be all end all. I just think it's it's a really good reference point it's a good uh, starting point to, to get into analytical discussions and it can help you validate the eye test make you want to go back and watch something again I, I just love the fact that we have that data yeah but according to pro football focus Deshaun Jameson had the most coverage snaps last year of any cor- corner in the country without allowing a touchdown 352 snaps a corner without allowing a touchdown uh, there was another Big 12 corner, Woody Washington at Oklahoma, 284. 
So, and again, part of that is in the Big 12, you the ball's in the air a lot. So you're, you're going to see a lot of pass attempts. So Deshaun Jameson, again, 352 pass attempts without a touchdown pass allowed in coverage. So there's that part of it. And while the interception numbers and the PBU numbers last year weren't there for him, historically he's shown that he's a guy that can get his hands on the football when he's in a position to do so. The flip side of that is when he does get his hands on the football, when he's in a position to make mm-hmm. plays, and I'm talking take Bijan Robinson out of the conversation, there's probably not a better, more proven playmaker on this entire roster than Deshaun Jameson. Guys, I don't know if you guys realize this. He's the only player in school history with a punt return and a kickoff return of 90 or more yards. To my knowledge, he's the only player in school history with a kickoff return for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown, and a blocked PAT returned for a touchdown. That's not counting that 71-yard punt return he had against Utah in the bowl game. He's got two kickoff returns for touchdowns in his career. The only Longhorn with more combined punt and kickoff returns for touchdown in a career than him is Jordan Shipley. So you can make a case. And by the way, Matt, I know one of your favorite guys of all time is Ramont Taylor. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Jameson broke Ramont Taylor's single-season record yep. for kickoff return average. Broke it last year, the first Longhorn ever to average over 30 yards per kickoff return. So when he gets the ball in his hands, you, you're hard-pressed to find a more explosive playmaker on his team. That's why I can make an argument for Deshaun Jameson. But, Rod, I'll throw it to you now because you tracked the numbers at corner last year those guys just need to be in a position, Deshaun Jameson, chief among them, to make plays on the ball because they just didn't do that enough last year. Yeah, I mean, that's a good argument. Because um, you're looking at just from an overall football perspective, he's a football player, but most people don't look at it like that. They look at it that mm-hmm. most of your production is done at your specific position. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I mean, when Deshaun Jameson came in, I said he's got a chance to be the best return man in the country. I remember saying that when he yep. came in because I'd been hearing You've about hearing him at it. TV High and how explosive he was. So it, I'm, honestly, I'm not surprised at how good he is as a returner. I don't think we use him enough as a returner. Like he, he, they need to. And I know we got a new special teams coach. I'm talking about just like the schematics of the special teams. I think he does a lot of that of his own natural ability. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of the time I see, you know, the Red Sea part for him because it was a beautifully designed return, right? It's usually just Deshaun Jameson making some damn plays because he's, he's got great instincts uh, and a great escapability. Uh, but I digress. So I, I see your point. But as a, as a coverage defender, as a guy in coverage, I do like that stat about him not giving up a touchdown. Um, but I would love to see a stat about how many deep balls he's given up um, and yeah. how many explosive plays he's given up. That's what I like to see. Now, he did get better last year, and I do think this year you could see Deshaun Jameson in a position to improve dramatically as a coverage defender just because I didn't like the way that Chris Ash um, almost forced this rigid technique upon the corners. And I think that made them really robotic in terms of defending the deep ball. They were all trying to, you know, you can see they were thinking too much. They were all trying to go through this process every time the ball was thrown deep instead of just being football players and reacting. Um, So I think that'll improve. I think there'll be a new 
methodology in terms of how they want to defend deep balls. I think they'll give the, the, the cornerbacks more resources and allow them to just make the right decision at the right time as to what technique they want to use. So I think they'll improve. And if that does improve, you're right on the money. At, at that point, you are, man. That guy could end up being a top 10 player uh, in the Big 12. I'll give you the numbers because I've been tra- – you know, I tracked them last year frustratingly. Love love um, if you look at the cornerbacks when they were targeted at any time uh, in coverage, um, they allowed an explosive pass play, which is a 20-plus yard pass play, or they committed a defensive holding call or a pass interference call every 4.6 targets. So I don't know why they stopped throwing at the corners. Yeah. I just kept throwing at them. Uh, they made a play on the ball every 13.3 targets um, at the cornerbacks. So um, if you put the safeties into that, and, and every now and then they would, and you guys remember this in the Baylor game and some other games, they would bring the safeties down to help the corners because the corners just couldn't defend mm-hmm. the deep ball and the downfield passing game. And if you track those numbers, then the Texas – cornerbacks when targeted uh there was a play made on the ball every 8.2 targets uh in their direction um by the defensive back but that was when the safeties were involved and that was bj foster coming down making plays on the balls and some other guys so the corners just didn't make enough plays on the ball you're going to get beat in the big 12 that's no mystery it is a passing league it's a sophisticated uh precision based passing league so it's just really really tough to, to to be a shutdown corner and not to get beat at all but the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams size, Cardi B size, but is you got to make some plays on the ball. All right. That's what you got to do. You got to find a way to make some plays on the ball. Texas cornerbacks didn't do that enough. They got to do more of that this year, especially in Kwiatkowski's scheme. And what we just sort of described as Deshaun Jameson's game, it almost is exactly the prototype that you would take as a corner in the Big 12. You want a guy that doesn't give up touchdowns, and when he does touch the ball, he's a guy that could have game-breaking speed. And when you talk about a guy that has this elite return ability, it makes sense that he also is a guy that maybe hasn't been beaten deep for a touchdown. He has that type of skill set to run with some of the most elite players. So just having that sort of as a guy that you can at least rely on on the outside that isn't going to let the total top off the defense, then it can allow some more freedom to your DBs or just freedom to your defensive coordinator, freedom to everybody else to be able to work into those strengths. So having him is a luxury in the Big 12. Rod, is is this stuff that can be fixed in an offseason? Because I know, you know, we talk about some technique issues. Offensive line technique is one of those deals that I'm like, look, you're not going to fix that throughout the course of a season. That's something that gets fixed in spring ball and then through summer work and then maybe through the first part of camp. But at some point, you are what you are and you just got to deal with it. I mean, can guys – I've always thought – and please, Rod – Correct me if I'm wrong. I've always thought ball skills, it's one of those things for corners that it's kind of like speed. You know, you can get faster, but if you're not elite level fast, you're just not going to be there. You can work on your ball skills, but if you don't have elite ball skills, I don't think that's something that you really develop. I think that's something that's innate. You've either got it or you don't. Yeah, I've always said that about ball hawks and all the guys that I play with. I mean, I think they're just innate. Uh, you know, they innate have that ball hawking, playmaking ability. They're just opportunistic. When the ball's in the air, they believe they have more of a right to it than the rod receiver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just a re- and some guys, I think they 
it, that that programming to me uh, is is more natural. I did not have that kind of programming, so I knew that as a cornerback, I had to know every possible resource tool available to me um, at any given time so that I could make the right decision. That's why Coach Akina and I really clicked because Coach Akina's belief was I can't tell you how to play that slant, that skinny post, that post corner. How am I going to tell you how to play it when I don't know exactly what the I don't know what the quarterback's doing. I don't know what your leverage is necessarily in that situation. I don't really know what kind of release the, the wide receiver is going to give you. I don't know what stem he gives you. I don't know what he's doing at the top of the route. All those different things I don't really know. So what I'll do as a defensive back coach, I'm going to give you tools. I'm going to I'm going to teach you how to flip your hips um, in case you get uh, you get ahead of the receiver too much and you get over leveraged. Um, I'll teach you how to open your hips up. You know what I mean? I'll teach you how to read the receiver's eyes. I'll teach you how to read his hands. I'll teach you uh, the look and lean technique if you need that. I'll, t- I'll give you all of these things. I'll teach you the three-step drop. Um, you know, I'll teach you the bump, bump and run coverage. And it got to the point where, you know, Coach Akina would say, you know, based on any given situation and circumstance, down, distance, the route they're running, uh, your film study, all those things, it's up to you as a, as a football player to go out there and use your instincts and make the right decision. Um, all he can do is supply you with the resources, the tools. I um, mean, you got to decide when to use them, how to use them. And I think that would be my approach as a coach. Just give them as many resources as possible. Don't tell them how to play, how to exactly play the cornerback position. You can't. How are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. I can give you the technique. Uh, I can teach you the proper technique. What's your proper leverage? I can give you the knowledge of how to do it. But at any given situation, you could be out of position. Right. You could find yourself uh, trailing what you're going to do when you're in a trail technique. Uh, you could find yourself. It's a back shoulder fade, but you're in great position. What are you going to do then? So if I'm if I'm if I'm turning you into a robot, then you're not going to be able to defend all those many situations that arise. I got to give you the tools. You got to be the supercomputer, process it all in milliseconds and then be able to read and react. And I think that's what Coach Akita kind of taught me about the cornerback position. And when I see coaches who teach uh, one way to play, you got you, we're going to play uh, cover four, and you got to play it like this every time. And I wonder, you know, if they are limiting those players, putting the ceiling on them, and ultimately um, stunting their development as a player because uh, ultimately they can be taken advantage of, they can be exploited if that's only one way they're going to play mm-hmm. the deep ball. And Chris Ash was teaching those guys one way to play. This is the proper way. Okay, that is a proper way. But what if I screw up? Mm-hmm. What if I screw up the first part of it? Then what do I do with the second part? And their assumption was perfection. Oh, you always did this. You do this part right. Uh, you know, part step one, then step two, then step three. But then sometimes I screw up step one, and then step two, three, and four are out the window. What do I do then as a, as a football player? How do I figure it out? That's mm-hmm. what you need. That's what I think you need to start promoting and advocating with with the with the players. And I think that's going to be what Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon. I think that's what they're going to get back to players being instinctual. You know, Blake Gideon played with one of the most instinctual players in the history of DBU, Earl Thomas. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there are stories about Blake Gideon just kind of telling Earl Thomas where he needs to line up, and then and Blake would tell you Earl Thomas's instincts and his football ability and acumen would do the rest. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, I you got to get back to that. And that's why I think Pete Kwiatkowski's scheme um, and what they're going to do on the back end. This is our hope now, because remember, 
you know, Pete Kwiatkowski and Jimmy Lake, you know, that's the biggest question about mm-hmm. how this system is going to adapt to the Big 12 passing game. They don't have Jimmy Lake coordinating those pass defenses, coordinating that secondary technique like they did at Washington. Now it's going to be Terry Joseph. Now it's going to be Blake Gideon. The hope is that those guys will have that synergy, that continuity together. If they do not, Big 12 will eat them alive, as you know. Yeah, and if you talk about players like that and just the mentality that the paralysis by analysis that sort of can come from situations like that whenever you're having to process in real time and, uh, you know, you can't necessarily say learn ball skills, but over time with the ability to have more reps, to see more pictures, to get more comfortable in the environment, it can make that processing become quicker and second nature so that's the type of area that you need to get in because sometimes you can see a player and it's like oh I wonder if he improved his ball skills but a lot of the time it would be because well now he's just more familiar with the situation more comfortable is going through the steps you're speaking of Rob or just naturally going back to your instincts and aren't going to be overbeared by too much information or trying to remember something instead of reacting. Rod so what you said right there that speaks to me uh, from an offensive line perspective, because you know, offensive line technique—I think at all positions it works the same way—but offensive line technique is one of those things we've talked a lot about this offseason with Herb Hand. And I thought Herb Hand was a really good teacher at teaching his way of doing things. When you're talking about half-man leverage and vertical pass sets, but that's the only way they were doing things, and exactly. we, we saw at times when teams countered that. Texas really had no counterpunch up front. I mean, it, it to yep. the point where you, especially in nineteen, like go back that eight sack game against Oklahoma, it wasn't anything complicated. Alex Grinch was doing. It's just simple, you know, eight gap blitzes with linebackers and twists up front. You know, with defensive tackles or, or loops with with bringing your ends up the middle. I mean, it's it's simple stuff, and the inability to pick that up it not only cost you that game, you you. Damn near got Sam Ellinger, you know. Thank thank God he made it through that game because, man, he I think he carried. I think his final rushing numbers for that game. I don't have it in front of me, Matt. I don't know if you can find that twenty nineteen Oklahoma mm-hmm. box score. I want to say he was his official numbers were like twenty three carries for like minus nine yards. Yes, it was bad. I, you're about right. <laughs> yeah, and it's just he just took a beating that game, and it's yeah. am, it's amazing he was able to play the next week. But I say that to say this, Rod. So at Horns twenty four seven, our staff question of the week, the most recent one we did was position groups fans should not be concerned about uh, coming out of the spring. So basically, you know, twenty three for negative nine. Twenty three for negative nine. Okay, yeah, that's un- oh, brutal. Uh, so Three more carries for negative two more yards. Yeah, so basically the question we were asked is that we had answered as a staff is what position are fans worried about that they shouldn't be? And it's it wasn't a concern, but it is a concern now, Rod, because it was almost unanimous that, uh, yeah, everybody's worried about the offensive line, but eh, don't, don't be too worried about the offensive line. Uh, uh, as a staff of the four or the, of the five staff members that, answer the question four of them said the offensive line myself included so now which now has me concerned about the offensive line Uh, (laughs) but i I, you know rod we've done this podcast long enough i think you know where i come from on the offensive line my view on the o-line coming out of spring is that's always going to be my default answer because to me other than quarterback that group has the most upside potential by the time you get to the regular season because it takes so long 
for that group to become a unit and gel and get some synergy and, and work together with one another, all the stuff we talk about that goes into good line play, that takes the longest. So, yeah, coming in with a new staff, when we first see them with our eyes in the spring game, you're thinking, okay, this is the baseline. It's got to get better from here on out. And and we've seen some years at Texas where it got better, maybe not to an elite level, but it got better. And there's been some years where what we saw in the spring was unfortunately a sign of things to come. So, yeah. Rod, is the offensive line, the like of all the positions, whether it's stuff that you talked about with uh, Kevin and BK on the triple option or stuff you've thought about by yourself or just hearing fan reaction, one position that you heard of coming out of the spring game from fans or whatever that people were concerned about that you think they probably shouldn't be? And is it offensive line? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think that the offensive line – you know, probably behind quarterback just because of the chronic issues that have existed on the 40 acres for so long at that particular position through multiple regimes. Uh, just starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel there, right, with your Connor Williams stories and your Sam Cosmes now. But that, 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 uh, that position has been bereft of talent and somehow has been a, a a, a black hole, if you will. That's a great way to put <laughs> um, it. At yeah. Texas, and we and we can't figure out why. So we once Texas got past the quarterback hell that they're in, and at the bridge, the Buccelli Bridge, to get them to Sam Ellinger, we assume quarterback because that room has been stockpiled with talent. Now you have Sark, who's a quarterback guy, that you won't get into the quarterback wasteland that you were at one point especially for the university of texas in the best quarterback factory state in the country uh, the state of texas uh, or second if you're a big california guy but either way texas should never have to be freaking out about who's going to be their quarterback it should be you know one of those things where it's an embarrassment of riches there which it, i think it, it is now um so i'm with you i think offensive line for me because we've had so many different offensive line coaches that have come through we've had four different offensive line coaches in the last five years since 2016, right? You've had Matt Maddox, Derek Wareheim, Herb Hand, now Kyle Flood. Um, and then you go back. I mean, this will be set the seventh offensive line coach for Texas since 2010. Uh, man, that's a lot of O-line coaches in your 11 years, considering. I mean, that's a lot of inconsistency. So I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm always concerned about the O-line just because of the history there. And I know that's a little ignorant yeah. because – New regime and new uh, – they got a lot of talent. You've explained how many blue-chip recruits they've stockpiled that room with, and we know Kyle Flood is a hell of a coach. But, hell, man, we thought Stacy Searles was a hell of a coach and Joe Wickline was a hell of a coach. And, <laughs> you know, we <laughs> – so I'm, I'm a little concerned about the offensive line. I'm with you. I, I know that they have talent. And I, I'm really excited about Jake Majors. I think Jake Majors is going to be a star. I think he's yeah. got a chance to be a star on that line with the way they use that – that outside zone and his ability to reach block, his athleticism, I think that guy can be – I think him and Bijan with the running game can be something special. Uh, But I am concerned about their ability to pass, protect, and for a new quarterback, I I worry that bad habits could develop if they – you know, if the pass protection in there, like leaving the pocket too early. What happened to Sam, right? No quarterback in college football scrambled more than Sam Ellinger in his four years. Um, as a starter, 
because he was always on the run. He was always on the run because he didn't trust his offensive line. So that hurt the passing game. That hurt the route development and the route progression, the maturity of all the plays. Sam would lead the pocket to And Sometimes Sam just saw ghosts. Sometimes it was a good pocket, but Mm -hmm. Sam didn't trust it, and I don't blame him. I'm I'm hopeful too, Rod, and we didn't see this a ton in the spring game, and, and we didn't need to. But I'm hopeful that Sark can sprinkle some a little bit of that Joe Brady dust on this offense. Like you go back to 2019, yes, Joe Burrow had one of the best years we've ever seen for a college quarterback, and yes, he had. You know, it's, it turns out uh, two first round wide receivers and a second round wide receiver in that wide receiver group. It was just an insane amount of talent on that LSU offense. Mm-hmm. But guys, and a first round running back in, in Clyde Edwards-Helaire, but. That offensive line, guys, it, that was not an elite offensive line LSU had. I mean, going into the year when we talked about LSU, we were like, man, was, even talking to people at LSU, it was like, that's a pretty average offensive line. Even it was by a weakness S- the year before. Yeah, I by, think they did return all their starters. They did. So they had experience. I believe they did mm-hmm. return, and, and which, which got, you, you know, that's that's rare, Jeff. Like, yeah, really, no, 10%, it is. 10% of college football usually returns every member of their offensive line. This year, you have a, a, a high number of teams, I think like 46 teams return every member of their offensive line. And that's because you have the COVID rule where everybody gets the blanket eligibility, and now you have the new rule about the transfer, transfer portal. So that is that that is rare, especially for a power like it, it, it is, and, and experience. I mean, you can't you can't deny it. It is what it is. But if you look at how that offensive line performed, Rod Joe Brady's play calling and the ability of Joe Burrow to get out the, get the ball out quick, that helped that offensive line mm-hmm. tremendously. To where you didn't you didn't need to ask them to be elite. You just need to ask them, hey, just do your job. Just hold your hold your block for a second and a half. The ball's going to be out, and and here we go. We're off and running. We don't need you to be, yeah. you know, we don't need you to be the 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 twenty twenty Alabama offensive line and just roll everybody off the line of scrimmage that you play. We don't need you to be that. We just we just need you to just do your job. Um, I, again, I'm I'm hopeful that Steve Sarkeesian can do something like that. For this offensive line, not saying this is going to be LSU's offense, but I, I think you guys get what. No, I'm it's a great point, yeah. and it's worth pointing out right now because of the situation that when you're talking about, well, if you do have a deficiency, if you do have an issue, how can you fix it? And it's the way that you've seen the NBA has gotten so fast. Because if you don't want to ever be in a half court set, you don't want to have to play defense. Well, how do you eliminate that from even being an issue? Just run, stay in fast break, go to the rim as fast as you can. Same thing is the case for offensive lines. If you can get rid of the ball before the pass rush can physically get there. It's just like those opening six seconds of a basketball possession when it's a fast break. Now it's the two and a half seconds that you have to get rid of the football before the pass rush can get there. Because if you can't block them, the only way to beat them is to get rid of the football before you can get there. And if you've got a quarterback that's smart that can diagnose it, we saw it and learned it here from Colt McCoy and Jordan Shipley with a horrible offensive line at the end of their career. So it's the perfect way to be able to mask an issue or you can even amplify certain aspects of your offense and understand that if you're playing an opponent that has a great pass rush this week we're only going to have to be able to deal with it in this situation so you can build an entire offense around things like that and be very good with a bad say offensive line you know when, yeah when... i remember joe brady because i was doing a lot of lsu research and i was in love with joe brady honestly just doing the research on him for that Texas LSU game. Mm-hmm. And I remember I brought up that quote about him and his five-man protection. Matter of fact, I used it 
when I was arguing that Texas should run more empty sets last year. Uh, last year because they were really good and empty and they were really bad at pass blocking. A lot of people think, oh man, it doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive that you would actually use more five-man protections Mm -hmm. when you're bad at pass blocking, but that was Joe Brady's theory. He said, quote, statistically, it shows that when you're in a five-man protection, five-man protections give up less sacks. A lot of people think when you get a lot of pressure, you need to bring the box in and bring in max protection, seven-man protections. But I think when you actually go five-man protections, you actually get the ball out faster. You limit what the defenses can do, end quote. That's Joe Brady in 2019 when he first got to LSU. So I think – and Texas was doing that actually out of empty formation. I don't know if that was their methodology and thought process. They were doing it out of empty. And up until like uh, the the beginning, early on November – Texas had allowed zero sacks out of empty sets, but it was exactly what you're talking about, Jeff, and exactly what you're getting at, Matt. Getting the ball out faster, they did it automatically, yeah. organically, because of empty, but it was the, still the same thought process that Joe Brady had. Yeah. Yep, and when you have those foul only five in the block, you aren't bringing in more bodies, so if in theory you're trying to prevent the rush, you don't want to be something on offense that actually becomes a negative and attracts more people into the area that you feel you're deficient in, and then it leaves one more weapon on the outside so whenever you have five you know you're getting rid of you actually add one to the numbers game out there it's the same idea of taking the center out of the paint and going five out in basketball to be able to clear the paint so a big guy like a Giannis or a LeBron can drive in when be unencumbered I just go back to the OU game last year and you know I mentioned the eight sack game and I think that really exposed kind of Herb Hand's methodology of there really is no counterpunch once you figure out how to attack it. And, and yep. two, I go, back exactly. to the, I go back to the Oklahoma game last year, guys. There was a there was a sack Texas gave up in the red area. They gave up a sack using an eight-man protection. And I, I must have watched that play 20 <laughs> times because I'm thinking, how in the world do you give up a sack on an eight-man protection? Well, it's pretty easy when you're only running a two or three man route and guys are covered. There's nowhere to go with the football. Yeah. So yep. it all weaves into what we're talking about. That's just the, the the space and pace methodology of football today. That's just the way you do it. You get more guys out in routes. Mm-hmm. You get the ball out quicker, so you don't have to ask your offensive line to go out and be elite. But I'll, I'll say this in talking about positions, that, and we'll, we'll pick this up because there's another position group I want to mention. Uh, we'll pick this up when we, we talk next week, uh, and we'll have a little more fuller show next week when, when we're all back together in the same room. But, Rod, you know, what you were saying about the way Dwayne Aquina teaches, and, and I, you know, when I think about Blake Gideon, not only did you you, know, you got the Earl Thomas factor, but, he, you know, he, he grew up the son of a coach, so he's got all those that kind of coaching DNA in him. He's already been at the college level. But you think about the different guys he played with at Texas, and if he can have the ability, if he can find that ability that all great coaches have to relate to players and apply things from his past. You know, He played with a guy like Aaron Williams, who was uh, uh, just a freak athlete anywhere you mm-hmm. put him. Uh, he played with a guy like Shockey Brown, who had all the physical tools but had terrible eyes. We always talk about Shockey Brown, yep. Brown's bad eyes. Uh, he played, yeah. he, you know, he played with a guy like Curtis Brown. So he played with so many different guys. You know, he played with a guy like Adrian Phillips, who was the Swiss Army knife, you know, 
guy can play every position in the secondary. So if he can apply that and help guys just add more tools to their toolbox, that's going to help them. The same thing with the offensive line. If Kyle Flood can just give these guys a few more tools to put in their toolbox, man, this offensive line is going to be good. And my parting shot, Rod, for this week, I agree with you on Jake Majors, not just because of his ability to reach, his ability to climb to the second level, but that ability he's got to be able to get his hat across a formation and block back for a pulling guard, Man, I think you can see Texas pull their guards more than we've seen, and that helps you create angles. It helps you create different leverages in the run game. That's when you get a really diverse run game to where if you get into a situation where you say, well, they're taking away outside zone, what do we got? I don't know. We're just an outside zone team. Now you've got other stuff that you can counter with. Yeah. No, I totally agree. That's a great I know that was a lot I just said there, but. No, no, no. I totally agree with you, man. And I think Kyle Flood will do that. And I agree about Blake Gideon. I'm a big Blake Gideon fan. That was one of the best hires I think Sark made because he does not only, I think he he believes in the Dwayne Aquino philosophy about DBs and, you know, uh, basically prepare for the worst situation. Give your guys a lot of different options to be successful. Give them a lot of tools and resources to help them be successful. Uh, Nothing, and I I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like I'm dogging Chris Ash and his philosophy at all. Uh, but I do think that rigidity um, and that assumption that you are always going to perfect the process and perfect the, you know, the, the methodology, step one, step two, step three, you know, that to me is a little stubborn. Mm-hmm. If you play, if you're a football Not player, realistic. you understand, man, something goes wrong every play. (laughs) Something that you did not expect to happen happens every play, and you got to be able to process it quickly and comfortably be able to make the adjustment as a football player and not be out of position or not be out leveraged. Um, And, you know, when you are, you still need to be able to understand, like, oh, I'm trailing, so what do I identify in the trail position? Let me get to the let me get to the near hip of the receiver, and then I can either read the hands, I can rake the hands, or if I get a good enough position, I can look at lean. All those different things you know i think the the players i think for texas they panicked often because in the film room you know they were being told once they screwed up step one oh man that's why you screwed up step three four and five because you messed up step one you got to perfect this you got to do it right and when you messed up that's why remember early on they were playing a lot of bump and run coverage because they wanted to play their press quarters they Mm -hmm. backed those corners off late in the season why because they weren't great press corners yeah gotta figure that out earlier all right, you know, they're not great press corners. Guys, we're going to use a bell technique. going to give you a bell. We're going to give you this. We're going to let you back it up if you want to. Uh, you know, you can use a check step. All these different things that can help the players. Don't just assume my way is always the right way. There are a ton of ways to skin a cat. You just got to figure out which way that DB prefers to do it. And that's as good a place as any to uh, pause the conversation, and we will pick it up next week. Uh, when we are all back together, one big happy Blitz family <laughs> under the same umbrella for the first time in uh, in a really long time. So it'll be good uh, be good to get back in the same room in the same studio. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For, for Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B each and every weekday on the triple option from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 Podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts. Click the subscribe button to get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting 
and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.